Welcome into episode 14 of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Uh, my name is Doug. And I am Pete. How's it going, Doug? Uh, it's going good, Pete. Uh, yeah, so uh, we had to release this episode uh, a day later than our normally scheduled programming. Uh, why don't you tell the people uh, the whirlwind trip you've been on? Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Uh, I apologize to our four or five listeners out there, but I'm currently in Miami at a conference. It's been pretty nuts, and I spent the weekend before that in Havana just having some fun. It was Havana's 500th birthday. It was pretty wild. And before that, I was in Montreal for work, so I was able to at least keep up with the team a bit more, but it's been pretty tough the last couple games, so I, I do apologize to everyone out there. It's all my fault. <laughs> I, I'm sure you've been at least in tune with the news, though. Uh, there was some pretty big news that broke today. Oh, yeah, man. I, I, I'm still following everything, and uh, I think we're going to dedicate this, um, this whole episode to uh, the Mike Babcock discussion. What do you think? Let's do it. I'm sure uh, TSN and Sportsnet will be discussing it at nauseum for the next 48 hours. I, I don't even follow Leaf stuff, and somehow my my feed is just just full of it. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's let's move along from that. <laughs> that's definitely the big news. Holy moly! I'm I'm glad watching them all erupt. Though. It's hilarious. Yeah, I, I can't say I didn't see it coming. Um, so yeah, have you been able? I, I'm guessing you've at least been able to see how the Canucks uh, have been playing lately and probably not being able to watch full games. Yeah, man, um, I do. Uh, I, I've seen that like a bit, but um, I have some questions for you. So why don't we get the episode rolling? Let's do it. All right, Doug. So I did get to watch the national game when I was in Montreal, uh, which is also coincidentally the last game we won. And one of the things that really stood out to me, and it seems to have carried over, was uh, the play of Adam Gaudet. How's Gaudet looked for you in the last few games? Yeah, uh, I actually went to the Nashville game, uh, the 5-3 game. It was uh, pretty cool. They didn't uh, they didn't show it on the big screen during the game, but after the game, all the hoopla was about Bull Murray being in attendance, which was pretty cool. I guess he went in and nice. uh, took some photos with the t- yeah with the players and the coaching staff. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, but yeah, jumping into Adam Gaudet, so I got a little sidetrack there. Uh, I think, hands down, he's been our best and most consistent player the last four games. Uh, he was on, I believe, he since he'd been recalled. I don't think, obviously, he didn't get a point last night. I think he had six points in the, la- in the six games since he had been recalled from Utica. Uh, so yeah, I think Gaudet's been great. He's been great on the forecheck. His defensive play seems to have improved a bit. Uh, he, again, he was a highlight during the Nashville game as well, and yeah. Uh, it's hard not to like his game so far. Yeah, I've been really impressed from what I what I've seen, and I, I saw something online somewhere about uh, they were looking at his stats and points per game and ice time. They just kind of his comparables, and he's currently in his development process. If you're ahead of where Ryan Kessler was, which is uh, at the same point in his career, which I think is pretty cool. Nice, yeah. That I I didn't see that stat myself, but that's very interesting and. The one thing that I do think Gaudet has and definitely has over Ryan Kessler is he's got a great shot. It's a very underrated shot. And when they set him up kind mm-hmm. of on the left wing on the power play, I would like to see them try to utilize that shot a bit more than they are. Uh, but he definitely has a penchant for uh, and a nose for the net. He's just kind of always kind of driving to the net. He's that guy who, you know, is 
kind of, you know, has the puck on his stick, you know, off of a, a shot from the point rebound. You know, he's the guy getting there trying to, you know, get the rebound and stuff at home lately. And yeah, he's just been all over, all over the ice and all over the puck. We've had a couple other guys who started the season with the Comets also uh, sneak into the forward core with all the injuries that we've kind of amounted to up front. Um, how, and, and, of course, Sven Derchi being the most obvious one, how has Sven in the last couple games kind of fit in, and where is he looks most stable in the, in the lineup? Who's uh, skated alongside him looks kind of like the best fit with him? I honestly... Uh... Look, I've I've always wanted I wanted Bearchi to be given uh, a good shot on the top six, you know, maybe on the second line with Bo. He really hasn't made much of an impact, at least in my opinion, in the games I've watched since being called up, especially these last four games. Uh, I, I believe last night there was a really lazy attempt at a back check by Bearchi, which led to a Dallas goal. I mean, by that time, you know, the route from Dallas was already on, so the game was already out of hand. Um, yeah, I don't know. Berchi just, I don't know what it is. He just, he hasn't looked that dangerous out there. I, I, I can remember maybe one or two semi-decent scoring chances he's had since he's been up with the big club. Uh, I don't know. If, again, Green's also been putting all the lines through a blender. So maybe it's just been harder for him mm-hmm. to try to get, you know, a little bit of chemistry with line mates and stuff like that. But yeah, he hasn't looked that great in my opinion, to be honest. Yeah, a couple of helpers on, on the season. He hasn't uh, scored yet. He's averaging close to 12 minutes a game, which is which is uh, about where I kind of expect him. Is he seeing anything on maybe a second unit power play at all, or is he being kind of just more of an even-strength player? Uh, not really, because they, they've been using him here and there, but they seem to really like Levo as a right-handed shot on that second unit power play. And they're usually playing two defensemen on the second unit, right? So then you've got Levo, uh, Gaudette, and then the center's kind of like changed a bit. You know, sometimes they'll put Bo there. Sometimes they've put um, Miller there. You know, Miller's usually on the first unit as well. But, you know, they kind of juggled it around a little bit. Pearson's kind of come up and down there from time to time. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, he hasn't had consistent uh, power play time, no. Yeah, I just actually checked it uh, as well. He's just, a minute 35 is what he's averaging a game. So that sounds like some solid second second unit time out there. I'm just getting a kick out of this looking at power play average time on ice. Louis Erickson's got one second. <laughs> <laughs> um, Louis, man, what what? what like, it just he just can't seem to get anything going right here. Right? He's got 12 games under his belt, um, and I know that a lot of people have really been kind of calling for his head yet again what do you what do you think is the next step here with uh with with erickson i mean i i, I don't see the team sending godette back down i think he's played too well and you're gonna have guys coming back in you've got uh, the Roussel effect coming up as well which i want to talk a little bit more about uh what do you think i, I we, we've discussed erickson a, a lot and i don't want to spend too much time on a guy who has zero points on the year but do you think right now the that it's time to send him down to utica well, it's actually interesting. I don't know if you actually caught the little news clip uh, while you've been away, Pete, but there was a there was an article, or I think one of the radio stations was reporting that Green wanted and has wanted to send Louis down to Utica, but Benning is the one keeping Louis up with the big club. So, oh, take that for whatever you will, but uh, yeah, that was reported 
a few days ago that apparently Green wants Louis down in Utica because he doesn't really see him as a fit or, you know, wants to give him the ice time. And Benning's the one that apparently is keeping him up here. Uh, I don't like the sound of that at all. No, I mean, here's the thing. You don't even notice him. Like, you don't notice him. Yeah, he's a decent penalty killer at this stage in in his career, but you don't notice him at all. And, you know, the only times you do generally notice him, it's usually, you know, uh, a poor defensive play. And again, I wouldn't say his defensive play is, you know, so bad that you're noticing it almost every shift when, like, you know, Delzato or... Um, uh, I forget the guy that you didn't, the defenseman from last year you didn't really like. We uh, Pittsburgh drafted him. Uh, Pouliot. Pouliot. It's not like you're, you yeah. know, he's he's that bad out there. But yeah, you just the Canucks got to do something, and I don't know if maybe there's a deal in place or there's a uh, gentleman's agreement between Benning and the agent. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. I I don't know. It's kind of that. I don't like that news, man. That leaves a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But. Not, not what I want to hear is Benning defending a guy who I, I think and most people think deserves to be playing in Utica and not up with the big club. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the other shoe's got to drop at some point, right? Like, you just, you can't yeah. keep this guy up here for as long as he is. I know there were, we'll get to it a little bit later, but there was another former Canuck that was just put on waivers who has three years mm-hmm. at six million left on his contract. So there was nice, discussion nice about point. would you swap, you know, one for one. Yeah, nice foreshadowing there. Uh, we were definitely going to get into that. Um, one other guy who's played a couple games now, and I, I really need your help with this one. How the heck do we say Tyler Gravich's name? Is, what, what is the correct way to say it? Uh, I, most of the guys on the, uh, the radio have been Grajovic. Tyler Grajovic or Gravich? <laughs> right. I, I just don't know, man. I've heard so many different ways, and I, I swear every time I say his name, I, I say it a little differently. Um, what's a, he's got a couple games. I know he hasn't played a lot. He's only uh, like four minutes a game or something like that. But what's uh, in the brief glimpses that you've seen, has he done anything noticeable? What are your thoughts? I mean, he hasn't done – I would think for a guy like him, he's one of those guys you don't want to notice. And I haven't really noticed him, and I think that's actually a compliment. You know, he's not doing anything – You know, and again, Green's obviously sheltering his minutes – but he's not doing anything, you know, to hurt the team out there. He's definitely a serviceable, you know, fourth liner. Obviously, you know, get the ice time on the right team. Um, yeah, like, I, he's not, he, obviously, he's not like, you know, a guy, a game changer or a guy that you can see as your future fourth liner uh, down the road. But, yeah, he's been serviceable with the injuries to sutter and beagle and he's filled in admirably and i haven't really noticed him but that's probably a good thing okay yeah no that's fair enough it's not like the erickson don't notice him it's uh it's a different kind of don't notice him right like the tyler mod effect almost i guess yes um quickly uh just thoughts on goaltending right now yeah i mean i think it's just a natural thing the goaltending's obviously taking a bit of a step back one of the big issues for the canucks the last I want to say, you know, the last month or so really has been uh, letting in the first goal and always playing from behind. And obviously, you know, when your goalie's given up the first goal, uh, the forward group and the defensive group are pinching a little bit and pressing a little bit to try to get that tying goal, which at the t- which often can lead to odd man rushes on the way back. So, yeah, I, I know early in Markstrom's career with the Canucks, that was kind of one of his 
one of his issues. And I don't think that's necessarily what's going on now. Early on in the Markstrom tenure with Vancouver, he was always given up that first goal and more often than not, it would be a soft goal. I wouldn't say the goals have necessarily been soft, but you know, the team is constantly playing from behind and uh, I think it's getting to the defense group, the forward group and the goaltending. Yeah, you never want to be chasing, especially on on road trips. Uh, it, that just it just changes your whole complexion of the game, and it is a it is a really frustrating trend that we we've, we've seen from this team a lot this year, and even like last couple of years, it's always just coming from behind. And it is a that's a very frustrating trend, and 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 a good point with them. One thing I wanted to bring up on a more positive note, uh, and I caught a lot of pictures and a lot of highlights about this, but how cool do those skate jerseys look? Yeah, they looked awesome. Uh, I actually met up with a buddy I hadn't seen in a long time and uh, went to his place to watch the game. And yeah, they they looked so nice watching him on TV. I know a lot of discussions like, you know, I don't know if we'd want to go back to that jersey full time. It's almost nice and more meaningful to have it as like, you know, a third jersey and to make it our official third jersey. I think there's a lot yeah. of people wanting to do that. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of that. I, I mean... I, I love that jersey and I love that era, but I, I'm more of a fan of the, the Cascadian blue, green, and white colors. Uh, having said all that, I think bringing this out as a, as a third jersey is just just spectacular. I think it, I, I think it's a great looking jersey, and the fans seem to love it. And it was my first Canucks jersey was the black skate one. Uh, that was that was the one I grew up with, and you know, trying to draw it on binders in high school and elementary school is a uh, was, was that jersey. I would love to see them bring that back on a permanent third jersey basis, but only kind of doing it for special occasions, you know, when there's something going on or a hockey night in Canada, or, you know, just kind of little things here and there, not overusing it too much, so it's still a real treat for the fans when it comes out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I would. they're only using it, or they're only going to use the th- that jersey three times this year. I think the oh, next one, it. yeah, so the next one, I believe, is January 4th against the Rangers, and then there's another one, I I don't know if it's against Buffalo, maybe it's Buffalo or maybe even Arizona, but there's another one I want to say in February where they're they're using their jersey again. Um, so it's only three yeah. times this year, which is kind of disappointing. Um, but I think it's the hottest selling item in the Canucks team store at the moment. They got a back order on certain players. The jerseys they do have in stock are of kind of awkward sizes. Uh, so yeah, there's huge demand for you know from the fans that you know they want these jerseys and they want to buy them. I'm with you though. I wouldn't want to wear them all the time. It's nice to kind of have them out as like a treat. And it's also nice to have this new era of Canucks wear the jerseys, you know? So it's yeah. like, oh, that's cool that these guys are wearing these jerseys. Yeah, that's a great photo I've seen online and uh, downloaded of uh, Pedersen and Besser there wearing the jerseys. And that's uh, like, man, that's, that's so cool to see those guys in those jerseys. And just think about like what what that would have meant if those guys were on a team in the early '90s. Uh, I don't know. It just it was for me. It's a very nostalgic. And three times a year, that's a little bit less than I would like. But it does keep it as a special thing when you only do it three times a year. And so I, I can kind of live with that. But I'd take it just bring it back on a on a permanent basis. Uh, that'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And Demco, I thought it was interesting that they actually. I mean, again, they are wearing the jerseys three times this year, but I did find it interesting that they decided to start Demco for the first game in those jerseys. Uh, some yeah. of the media here were, you know, trying to maybe equate it to, you know, the Heritage Classic with Luongo and Eddie Lack. I don't think we're quite there, 
But it was interesting that they went with uh, Demko for the first game, I thought, at least. I think that's just a, that's the Vancouver media effect, though. I think, honestly, Travis Green probably gave zero thought into that. He's probably thinking, who does he want to start that game? And, yeah, okay, it's, it's Demko, but for him, I don't think wearing the jersey is enough to be like, saying, oh, well, Markstrom's got to start because of the jersey we're wearing tonight. I, I don't think Travis Green put any sort of kind of credence into that, personally. No, you're probably right, but uh, I do like my wearing my tinfoil hat from time to time. I know you do, man. The, the aliens, they're, they're coming for you. I heard a story about a Sasquatch today, and I was like, oh, Doug would love this. we got to go here and, and do that. Um, so you're saying, though, that like I'd be wanting to get a, a bow captain's jersey, but I should probably settle in more for a shallower extra-large jersey of the black one? Uh, yeah, I mean, the shallower jersey, I didn't see any. I went to the team store the other day, uh, and I didn't see any there, so they must be on back order. All right, well, I'll hold out. You know, I've always been a Josh Levo fan as well. Maybe, maybe uh, if he gets re-signed, that could be the one I, I go for. <laughs> um, another uh, thing I wanted to bring up today, and uh, it's obviously very topical and relevant and, and unfortunate. We're kind of going through highs and lows here, but we got to talk about Ole Levy um, and and what's going on and the vagueness of this. And I've I've been trying to like I'm sure a lot of Canucks have as well, trying to dig into this and figure out what this actually means when. It, the way it was announced, though, sounded more ominous than a guy tweaking a toe or something like that. What What do you know about the Ole Levy situation? Um, yeah, like it, honestly, I remember he was held out of the Friday last Friday's game in Utica, and I believe Trent Call, the Utica coach, mentioned something about it was either him or maybe it was uh, Johnson, the GM. Uh, one of them made a comment about you know that. They didn't want to press you, Levy, and they, you know, they would sit him out certain games, you know, to try to rest him, you know, and he would need rest. And then it seemed like the next day it was announced that Yul Levy was or actually it wasn't quite the next day. It was, uh, yeah, I think it was the next day. Actually, it was Saturday, I believe. The next day it was announced that Yul Levy was out indefinitely, uh, and he would be flying back to Vancouver to be evaluated by the Canucks team doctors. And they said it's not related to his knee injury from last year. So some of the yeah. speculation, nothing's been actually announced uh, or confirmed as of yet. But some of the speculation is perhaps it's his back because I think he had back surgery the year prior to this. Yeah, that's uh, that's about what I've heard as well. And uh, I've heard that we we're going to hear more uh, info possibly over the weekend and, and just what's happening. But though the announcement itself, just it just seems strange and I mean, it's just really unfortunate. Yulevi was playing quite well from the sounds of it, and it was really kind of settling in. I know just before, a couple of days before the announcement, Thomas Strands released a, a piece on Ole Yulevi and just kind of how uh, he was trending, and then all of a sudden this this happened. And I know Canucks fans are still uh, – he's a, he's a polarizing pick, as we know. He's got his stats line across the board at zero, and you look at the guy who was drafted right after him in, in Matt Kachuk. And this is just just another really frustrating, unfortunate turn for him. As, as this was the year, I think everyone thought, and I'd be saying, there's a chance that we see Yuleli play with this team after Christmas. But now we may not see him at all again this year. And now you're starting to get to the point where, like, is this pick a bust? Yeah, yeah. Like I know you and I discussed in earlier episodes this year that we thought Yuleli. You know, for me, it was one of the more exciting things heading in. Obviously, Hughes was huge to see a full season of Hughes. But 
One of the most exciting things for me this year was to actually see Yulevi get NHL games under his belt. And yeah, like they said, there's no timeline for when he'll be back from the injury. They haven't released anything on whether or not it requires surgery, anything like that. It's just a lower body ailment unrelated to his recent knee injury, whatever that means. And yeah, I think uh, the bust label is, you know, it's it's harder and harder to defend Yolevi and to not maybe consider him to be a bust. But I would also argue that, I mean, the injuries are, in my opinion, the only reason you can really consider him a bust at this time because he hasn't had a chance to actually play an NHL game. I do think that, you know, he has, he, he has a great mind for the game and, you know, when he is healthy, he is a smooth skater. He's got a great first pass and he does have, you know, a decent offensive touch. But yeah, ever since this draft, it's just, it's kind of been downhill for his development. That second year in London, you know, after the team had won the Memorial Cup, um, I know obviously they, he lost Kachuk and uh, who else was on that team? There was another big name on that team. Uh, Max Domi, was it? Domi, that's right. Uh, Domi yeah. and Kachuk both left. Um, so the team wasn't going to be that, you know, wasn't going to be this great team. Um, or no, was it Marner actually maybe I think was on that team. Uh, he was a knight too, uh, but I think he was a later on to, uh, actually, geez, I can't remember. No, I, uh, I, I think, I, I think Marner, up. I think it was Marner. Anyways. Um, yeah. So I know that, you know, the, the next year after they'd won the Memorial cup, uh, it wasn't, you know, the best team. But Yulevi didn't really, you know, he kind of just stayed stale. He didn't progress. His points kind of plateaued. And then, you know, it didn't seem like he he'd still had to play another year uh, in the OHL. And that's when the Canucks decided to move him over to Finland, which I think was a decent experiment. But I believe when he went over there, he ended up hurting his back and was required, uh, did require back surgery at some point and missed the rest of the season. Um, and yeah, man, I just, it, it's sad, man. I was really sad when I saw the news. Yeah, you know, I'm getting my London Knights teams confused. I was thinking Max Domi because he played with Bo Horvat and uh, over there. So uh, my bad on that one. I was getting uh, my teams crossed uh, over a bit. I, we're gonna we're gonna give you the win on that one, Doug. Mitch Marner. It was Marner. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Marner. I know it wasn't Domi because I just I just realized I was like, wait a second, I'm I'm, I'm still on the, the Bo Horvat train, which we're gonna we're gonna discuss uh, a little bit later as well. Um, another prospect I just wanted to kind of touch on uh, briefly who's uh, playing pretty well is Will Lockwood, kind of a forgotten guy in a lot of ways. I know he's a 2016 third rounder. Uh, he gets lost in a lot of the hype of other U.S. college prospects, uh, either on the national uh, development team or with uh, Michigan. Uh, but Will Lockwood's kind of in an interesting situation with the team. He's uh, coming up to a situation where the Canucks have to decide either to sign him or let him go and become an unrestricted free agent in August. What do you think uh, with Will Lockwood? What do you think uh, is the chance of him getting signed to a, a pro deal? And where would you see him fitting in if so? Because he's kind of in a we, we have a bit of a logjam with some of these uh, prospects of a similar stature. Um. Well, to be fair, the ball's in Lockwood's court, right? Because he's played yeah. the full four years of uh, NCAA hockey. He can become an unrestricted free agent. So I think yeah. the Canucks have every intention to want to sign him. Uh, whether or not Lockwood's going to sign. I mean, obviously him and Hughes were teammates in Michigan for a couple of years. So, you know, I would assume he does have a bit of a connection to the Canucks in that regard. Um, and yeah, I mean, to me, as far as fitting in the team, 
depending on how his training camp goes, because he's another guy that's kind of been riddled with injuries and it's kind of slowed his development down. I don't think anyone thought, you know, this guy's a game changer or he's going to be a prolific offensive player in the NHL. But, you know, he is, you know, an energy guy that can play in your bottom six. You know, he is fairly physical for a smaller guy. And, you know, he can put the puck in the net from time to the time. To me, he's a, he, he's a Tyler Mott clone. Hopefully he's a little bit better than Tyler Mott. And again, no ill will towards Tyler Mott. I just, you know, you like a guy who's a little bit younger, perhaps a little bit faster, uh, has a bit more, you know, touch offensively than Mott would. Uh, So to me, he fits on that kind of, you know, maybe fourth line. Maybe you can move him up to the third line um, type of guy. And again, I'm sure he could go to Utica as well and, you know, stay in Utica for a year and develop further down there. Yeah, I I think that would be ideal. I'd hope so. I hope they can keep him around. Um, it's uh, it's just an interesting time at the NCAA right now. Tyler Madden continues to make great steps in Jack Rathbone. We I know talked about him last episode. So I'm not going to go into it. He just continues to shine as well. So strong stuff in the NCAA right now from Canucks and hopefully we have until August with Lockwood. But it's just something that's worth bringing up because there is a chance he could join the team late in the season. Yeah, well, the other thing with Jack Rathbone. Sorry, just to touch on him. I mean. He's putting up better numbers at the age he's at playing than Adam Fox did. And Adam Fox was considered one of the better, you know, NCAA defensemen not playing in the NHL. So, uh, yeah, the the trajectory that Rathbone's on currently looks very positive. Yeah, Rathbone was always the Robin to to Batman there with Adam Fox. But it's it's really exciting to see what he's doing. He's a guy who's really shot up our depth depth charts as well. But anyways, we talked a lot about him in, in the last episode, too. Rathbone, seven points now in five games. He uh, continues to shine playing over at Harvard. Um, moving back to the big club. Oh, and also full credit to Rick Dollywell for uh, uh, doing a really good piece on The Athletic this past week about some of these prospects and uh, bringing that Will Lockwood deadline to my attention. So, Rick Dollywell, as usual, doing the, the hard work, and I'm just kind of riding in his coattails there. <laughs> um, Antoine Roussel, back at practice. Exciting time. Yeah. What do you think? Well, I have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure he's actually on the road trip with the team. So yeah, he is. it does sound like he might be able to get in a game there. And I mean, to me, the obvious choice to come out of the lineup is going to be Louis Erickson. Beagle played last night, so he's back. Uh, Sutter, obviously, is still out of the lineup. But uh, I definitely think uh, Russell will be an, um, a nice, needed kind of you know punch and depth to the team. He's again one of those guys that's hard to play against, and uh, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to him coming back. So he was skating in practice in Dallas the other day, and uh, fun side note: I, I know I talked to you about this off the air, but currently, currently in Miami right now. Tomorrow, I'm flying to Nashville to catch the Canucks Predators game over there, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed that Antoine Roussel gets to make his season debut over there, and I'm also keeping my fingers crossed that the Canucks don't do what they did in Dallas, because I would have been pretty choked if I went to that game. Yeah, I mean, the game last night was a huge disappointment. Uh, the effort level just didn't seem to be there. Dallas definitely outmatched them, but, you know, trying to put a positive spin on it, it's the first real blowout game of the year from the Canucks, and every team has a blowout game. And more often than not, when a team does get their asses handed to them, they come back with a much better effort. Yeah, and uh, I, I hope you're right with that one because Nashville, I've, I've been to a Preds game before, not against the Canucks. Uh, those, those fans can give it to you. They're fun, 
but uh, they won't show any mercy if uh, their their team is 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 going up like Dallas did the other night. Uh, uh, but anyways, moving back to Rochelle, I, I I agree. I think Rochelle because it's been so long since we've seen him in the lineup. I think a lot of us uh, have forgotten about him. We've had some similar kind of shiny toys join the team since then. Even going back, Tanner Pearson was after Antoine Roussel, I believe. I, I, I'm pretty sure that was. But, you know, you have Ferland coming in as well in the offseason and JT Miller. So you have all these other kind of wingers that we've had a lot of, paid a lot of attention to. And now Antoine Roussel, who was playing fantastic before his season-ending injury, was winning over a lot of fans, was just a great spark plug for the team. Having him come back right now could be that energy boost that this team really, really needs. Yeah, I agree. He He's one of those guys that can kind of play up and down your lineup. He could play top six minutes if you needed him to. He can obviously play, you know, in your bottom six. And, you know, he's he is a physical presence out there. Again, he's not, you know, a guy who's, you know, a Tom Wilson who's going to go and hit everything that moves and, you know, play on the on the edge of, you know, legality or anything like that but he is a dude that you know is very hard to play against i know he a lot of players hate playing against him he's almost like you know this era's essa tikkanen or you know even yeah, alex burrows was like that yeah i was gonna say alex burrows which is fitting timing because we got uh the burrows game coming up here in a in a little while and uh we should also shout out our uh, winner of the ticket to the burrows game uh ted wong at the pp1 podcast unfortunately Ted did confirm with us, though, that he will not be able to make the game. So we will be doing Uh, a giveaway at the end of this episode. So pay attention to the end. And, yes, there will be a ticket given away to the Alex Burroughs Ring of Honor game. How fitting, considering this is episode 14 as well. I know, man. You stole my thunder. I was going to say that as well. We got to do that for that one. It's all coming together. We got Antoine Roussel. This this era's... Alex Burroughs, well, I shouldn't even say this era, this, this, this team's Alex Burroughs, it's, uh, it all comes together in a nice little package. Um, so, Doug, another uh, big piece of news that is very relevant to the Canucks and this current team as well actually happened back over in New Jersey this week with Corey Schneider getting placed on waivers. What were your initial thoughts when you heard that? Uh, yeah, I mean, much like Ulevi, it was kind of sad. I mean, I, I think Schneider, he's had some, I think he's had multiple hip surgeries. And uh, yeah, he just hasn't been able to recover and get, you know, to play at that same standard he used to play at. Uh, yeah, it's just sad, man. I mean, I think he was obviously, tra- when Jersey traded for him, he was the heir apparent to arguably the greatest goalie in the history of the NHL, Martin Brodeur. And for whatever reason, you know, I think he had one or two decent years in jersey but he just he couldn't stay healthy and then he had some hip surgeries and for whatever reason he just hasn't been able to recover fully from it yeah the most games he played with jersey uh was in the 14 15 season he had 69 games and that was kind of his best year with the devils had a 925 save percentage as well to go along with that and he, he was looking pretty good eh? the first year after coming over at Belize, he was injured that year in, in jersey too uh, but he had he had some health t- troubles up until the 16-17 season and just was never quite right after that. And I remember watching him play the last two seasons, and I just you could tell this wasn't the same player that we knew in Vancouver. And and his decline was was fairly rapid from for a guy who's I guess what is he at 33 now? Yeah, 33. I think, I think he's 33. Yeah, it's, and I mean, I was also trying to go back and, and find as much stuff as I could about 
that trade when it happened. And I remember, and I found a video as well on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find a, uh, when you, you remember this as well when Gary Bettman announced it. Like, I think you're going to want to hear this one. Yeah. Because it was in Jersey. Yeah. And the fans just freaked out. Like, they loved it in Jersey. They were, they were just, they were just ecstatic with this trade because Mark Amberdure, and now this is the, the heir apparent. You're right. And then the Canucks come up to the podium and use their pick. And it's like Bo Horvat. What I really remember about this, I remember a couple things, is uh, Bo Horvat was not the guy I wanted at number nine. I wanted uh, Nikushkin, who went the next pick. Nikushkin was this big Russian winger who just looked like the real deal. It played really well in junior. And that was the guy I thought that the Canucks were going to take, was Valery Nikushkin. And there's a lot of actual similarities with him going at 10 and Pud Colson going at 10 in Vancouver. So let's just hope that's where the similarities end. But when they took Bo Horvat, I was a bit surprised because a lot of the central scouting didn't even have, for North American skaters, didn't even have Bo Horvat in the top 10 at, at that moment. There was a lot of guys. Hunter Shinkarek was actually ranked higher in central scouting than Bo Horvat was for North American skaters, if you can believe that. And Hunter, of course, fell all the way to number 24. But that was my first kind of thought. And Canucks Twitter that day, man, it just, people were just chastising the team for, for this trade. And again, it just goes to show that here we are, six years later, and the Canucks won that trade. Well, and they have their future captain as well. Yeah. And at the time, he was plugged as the replacement for Cody Hodgson. So it's kind of interesting how all these things end up kind of working around, but... I think right now you got to look at, in hindsight, Bo Horvat for Corey Schneider. Quebec's won that trade. Not only did they win it, but they maybe reached a little bit for Bo. It was a bit of a surprise, but they really liked Bo Horvat. The big thing that helped uh, Bo's stock rise during the draft was he had that massive OHL playoff performance where he was over well over a point a game during the OHL playoffs. I think he scored that like game-winning goal, or was it a game-tying goal with like, 0.3 seconds left and stuff like that. So that really kind of rose his stock. And I think a lot of the scouts and a lot of the teams saw this guy's potential big game player. And uh, yeah, he is. I mean, I, for me, he's the only young guy in the current core that's actually played a playoff game for the Canucks. And yeah, he's, I mean, he, you can't say, I, at the time I didn't love the trade. It didn't make sense. Luongo seemed like he was on the decline, but I mean, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I know there's been a few guys out in the media, like you yourself, who chastised... Well, I shouldn't say you chastised them, but were chastising the Canucks and Mike Gillis for making that pick. And now, you know, and they won a Nuchushkin, and now, you know, Gillis looks like a genius. Yeah, that's it's going down as, as, as a good one. Another thing with that was the reason this whole thing started with and why Corey Schneider left. And it's just funny how a lot of these things worked out because the Cody Hodson thing left the need for a center prospect in Vancouver. The whole goalie kerfuffle with Corey Schneider and Roberto Luongo. And when the Canucks decided not to buy out Roberto Luongo and left him as the rock on the roster and they found out they couldn't trade him and they couldn't go back in, they had to trade Corey Schneider. And at the time, I know Edmonton, we've talked about this, uh, I know it worked a lot, is Edmonton had some offer on the table, and everyone says it was a better offer. But the Canucks didn't take it because they didn't want to trade him within the division. And they end up going with Jersey and getting Bo. And with all these decisions and all this turmoil, 
somehow ended up working out for the Canucks. Yeah, I think the one thing I do have to credit for Bo, and the one thing that I think every fan of the of Bo Horvat says, and even the guys who were critical of hit, of the pick, Bo has been one of the few, I shouldn't say few, but he's one of those players who seems to constantly add and work on his game. His skating was an issue coming out of juniors, and that was one of his big knocks. And he went to a skating coach, and his skating has proved massively from the time he first came into the league. And he seems to be a guy that is constantly trying to improve you know, his play and, you know, what kind of extra skill he can add to his arsenal. And the other thing, too, you hear Jeff Patterson always say it, that Bo is a hockey junkie. He's always asking, you know, he's always watching hockey. You know, every time the Canucks haven't made the playoffs, he's, you know, watching every game, you know, that he can. And, yeah, he's just, he's a hockey fanatic. And I think, you know, that's one of the reasons why he's always trying to kind of, you know, get to the next level in his game, where a lot of guys, they just kind of plateau. Yeah, he works with Kathy McElwain, who's a professional skate coach, and she's just done some awesome things. I've seen a few clips of what she does, and she works with a, a variety of NHL players and Team Canada and, and a lot of different things. She's she's done a, a great job with Bo and getting him up to the level that he's at. Because, yeah, you're right, that was a knock on him on the scouting report, and you would not know that now looking at the way he works out there and his, his kind of – the energy he puts into his stride. He's got that kind of low power stride, which gives him that real power forward look when he's out there. Yeah. Um, so I guess this can transition into another question. Uh, would you say this is one of the better trades in Canucks history? Canucks history, it's, it's certainly up there. I mean, Corey Schneider was a good player, and he went to Jersey, and he had a good player, a good career, sorry, with the, the first couple of years with the Devils. Um, what is one of the? It is certainly one of the, the better ones, without a doubt. I mean, I, I still think the best trade in Canucks history has got to be the shuffling that Brian Burke did to get Sedin. I, I think that's that's amazing. And you know, like every time I kind of talk to it, I was like, oh, we know Brian McCabe was in there, and we know there's a first overall pick that the Canucks briefly had. So I actually broke it down here and put it all together just so we, even even for the two of us, because we, we talked about this a lot, what what exactly happened. And so this was the timeline. It was actually three trades in one. So the Canucks traded Brian McCabe and their 2021st overall pick. Uh, sorry, not 2020, 2000. I wrote 2020 probably because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm confused as to where I am even these days. Uh, McCabe and the 2001st round pick to Chicago for the fourth overall pick. So the Canucks that year then, they had the third overall pick. So the Canucks now had three and four. The Canucks then traded the fourth overall pick along with two third-round picks to Tampa for the first overall pick. That gave them one and three. And then in order to, to kind of, they wanted to select them together and make sure it all worked, they actually traded the first overall pick to Atlanta straight up for the second overall pick with the condition that Atlanta must take Patrick Steffen. So that was how it all ended up working out. And then, of course, the rest is history. The Canucks were able to draft the Twins. Well, and that also, you know, puts to bed the talk that the Canucks have never had the first overall pick before, because clearly they have. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> had it very briefly, but it was only for, I think it was probably even less than 24 hours. They did technically, at one point, have a first overall pick. It was the only time they did, but they never selected it. It is a fun little trivia fact. It's like... I'm not sure if there's another NHL team out there who could say uh, there the their NHL team has had a first overall pick but traded it away, and they come back to that. But in our case, it's a happy story. 
Yeah, I think the other thing uh, that comes to mind, like it almost reminds me, I don't know if you ever saw that. It's a pretty bad movie uh, with Kevin Costner called Draft Day where he's like, oh, yeah. he's like the GM of the Cleveland Browns. And it, 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 it's literally almost what Burt pulled off, you know, where he's traded this pick for that pick to get the first pick. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it, as far as like the actual like inner workings of how that trade went down, definitely probably right up there is one of the greatest trades of all time in Canucks history. I think pure value-wise, I, th- I still think the Marcus Naslin for, was it Alexei Stoyanov? Yeah, that was the one. That's the, that's the most obvious one for sure is is that trade. That was, that was a goodie. Yeah, I mean, another trade uh, that I think was one of the better trades the Canucks ever made was uh, Trevor Linden. Uh, the first time he was traded yeah. to the Islanders. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, I think people forget that, that it was uh, Linden for... Uh, McCabe, Bertuzzi, and I believe a third as well. And McCabe, of course, was what we mentioned in the uh, previous bit about being flipped over to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, again, great value. It was sad to see Linden go, but uh, great value for the... Uh, was Pat Quinn still the GM back then? I, I, I don't think he was. No, I think Mike mm. Keenan actually was pulling the trigger at that time. Yeah, I think I think so too. I, I think so. But that was, that was certainly... I remember as well when the Canucks got Linden back uh, too. That was uh, that wasn't a very bad deal either. Was, I think it was a couple of second. Or, I think it was oh, it was Linden going one way from Washington for what is it here? Second rounder Dennis Grott or yeah, like Boy Gordon. There's like a lot of little pieces involved here. It was, uh, but bringing him back, I just remember that when I was working in a pub in Victoria in the kitchen, we had a bunch of diehard Canucks fans in there, and I was working that night, one of the guys just came out of the back, oh, the Canucks just got Trevor Linden, and uh, we were, that, was, that was quite the night for us, but yeah, the, both the Linden deals, those those certainly stood out. Well, I mean, I will say this, I mean, obviously the Canucks trade record hasn't been the greatest over, over time, but you know, when they've had to trade big name players, a la Pavel Bure, Todd Bertuzzi, they've done very yeah. well. I mean, Ed Jovanovski, getting him back in the Pavel Bure trade was great. Um, and then obviously yeah. what we got for Todd Bertuzzi and Roberto Luongo was another home run. Yeah, and, and side note that the um, the third rounder in that uh, first tournament deal was actually Yarko Rusu, who ended up being pretty serviceable too. So, oh. um, but yeah, you're right about that. Is uh, Some of those big trades, right? They, the Luongo deal, uh, when we traded uh, out Bertuzzi, there, that, was, that was a good trade for us for sure. That was, that was, that was a great one. Um, but yeah, when we lost Beret, um, when we lost, uh, I remember when Kessler left town as well, there's a lot of like, you know, was, was that a, was that a good trade? And the one that really kills, you got to go way back. The one that just killed me was, uh, of course the Cam Neely trade. The what trade? Oh, Cam Neely. Yeah. 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 To be fair though, Cam Neely didn't really, he hadn't developed into the player he became in Boston quite yet. I know he was still young, but you know, I don't think anyone really thought he was the, going to be that kind of, you know force he ended up becoming in Boston. What do you think of, uh, you look back at when the Kings also traded Luongo back to Florida. It was Luongo and uh, Steve Anthony for Jacob Markstrom and Sean Mathias. In the end, that trade doesn't look too bad for Vancouver anymore. No. Uh, I mean, Markstrom's Markstrom for years was actually considered to be one of the best goalie prospects in the NHL. Um, and it just, he was just a late bloomer, it seems, right? It took him a little bit longer to kind of develop. And I, I think looking back, you know, it was a win. 
Uh, the only thing that, again, I still, and I, I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, I promise. But the only thing that, again, I still don't under-fucking-stand is how the Canucks still have a cap recapture penalty when they've traded the contract. Shouldn't that penalty uh, be f- solely on the Florida Panthers? But again, we're not going to uh, go down that rabbit hole. Dude, I'm in, I'm in Miami right now. I should go and talk to someone about that. But yeah, that that's... Uh... Uh, that's uh, yeah. Well, you heard that he's just been hired. Luongo's just been hired yeah. as a special advisor to the to D- Dale Talon, right? Or is it Dale Talon? Yeah, yeah Dale really, Talon. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, week for that, that whole Luongo Schneider thing uh, again, isn't it? Yeah, strange days, man. Strange days. Strange days for sure. Um, the other one I wanted to mention. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on some of the best and worst trades. I, I like talking about the best ones more than the worst ones. We don't need to talk about things like Felix Spotman or anything, but um, one of my favorites was the Patrick Sundstrom deal way back when, and I think a lot of people kind of forget this one, but Patrick Sundstrom went over to uh, the Devils, where he still had some good numbers, but Patrick Sundstrom at the time was coming off a 71-point season, and it posted three straight, sorry, four straight seasons of 60-plus points with the Canucks. He was, he was a good player, and we traded him for Kirk McLean and Greg Adams, that ended up working out pretty well, and that was also at the time when the Canucks had two Greg Adams there briefly. That was that was a, that was a weird year, but that ended up being a great trade. Uh, both, uh, of course, McLean and Adams influential in the '94 Cup run. Yeah, that, that that was another forgotten trade. Another trade actually that just came to mind that I kind of forgot about was the Canucks trading Michael Pekka for the forgotten Canucks superstar Alex McGillney. Yeah, and who then again, McGillney, also got flipped over to Jersey in another two-for-one deal for Brendan Morrison and Dennis Peterson. And that's what reminded me is because we ended up trading him to Jersey. I, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's another trade. And Pekka was a great player, great NHL player, oh, but uh, yeah. that was an amazing trade for the Canucks to pull off to get a superstar like McGillney. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was good. I always liked Mike Pekka as well. He bounced around a lot. and He was one of those guys in the EA Sports mid-'90s time I'd always try and get and put on my third-line center. He was just like that. Perfect third line center, but yeah, it was, uh, those are those are all kind of again this connectivity. I love doing when you see those like ladders or the trees, the trade trees of guys, and how it all kind of falls down. It, it's funny how some pieces, big or small, that you move end up becoming so important to a team down the line. Yeah, and, and some of these trade trees go on for like a decade or two as well, which is pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah, I think it doesn't Edmonton still have like pieces of the Mark Messier trade tree going now that uh, once Ryan Spooner was traded for Sam Gagne, didn't that keep that trade alive? I believe it did. I believe you're right. Yeah, it's too too funny. Uh, any other ones jumping out at you, Doug? Best or worst, or should we move on to the free pour? Uh there's one trade that it still it still bothers me, <laughs> and I know when it happened, you're like, I don't think this is a bad trade, really as bad as you think it is. But I, the Cody Hodson trade, I don't know, man. It, that trade still bothers me. I just felt like at the time, I know Cody was perceived by apparently Canucks management and some of the players as a bit entitled. But to me, it just did not seem like the right time to trade this kid. And, you know, you were trying to gear up for another playoff run. He seemed to be a guy that could really solidify your third line and, you know, be a, a scorer on the second unit power play as well. And I just felt like they traded him at w- very below his value. I didn't think Zach Cassian, and I know Cassian had a pretty prolific junior career. Uh, he was on that yeah. Windsor Spitfire team with Taylor Hall, wasn't he? 
Oh, I'd have to uh, check that, but I feel like it, it was uh, around that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was. I'm fairly uh, certain he was yeah, as he well. Was. Uh, he was, he was. I, I'm remembering now I've, uh, that, that team. But I've got an autographed picture, actually, ironically enough, an overhead shot of uh, Taylor Hall and Cody Hodgson uh, that's signed by both players from yeah. that, that era with uh, the Spitfires and the, the Battalion. But he, I, I know what you mean. And in the end, I don't necessarily think it was a bad trade, but the timing of it was off because that was on the trade deadline, that trade. Yeah, and it came out of nowhere. And like, th- th- I think it was the same deadline we ended up grabbing Sammy Paulson, who was a shell of his former self from uh, Columbus for, I think, a third-round pick, maybe a second-round pick, to kind of, you know, mm-hmm. fill in for that third-center uh, position. And again, I just, it didn't make sense. And obviously, you know, Zach Cassian is still an NHL player and Cody Hodson, for whatever reason, isn't, you know, in the NHL due to injuries. I know there was some bad blood, it seemed, between him and the team as well because he had that a neck injury or something like that. And it kind of went, it was wrongfully diagnosed or didn't get diagnosed properly. And so I think there was a little bit of bad blood there, but I just, to me, it didn't seem like the proper time to trade him. It just, you know, and Gillis, in my opinion, kind of got on this high horse and it was either like, you're either with us or against us and just decided to ship him out. It was, it was shocking. And I, I believe it was like one of the last trades that went down that day. It was, it was the very last trade. And the funny thing was the Canucks actually had three of the last four trades on drafting because you had the Sammy Paulson one earlier in the day, which is two fourth rounders for Sammy Paulson. And then at the end, there's a, a couple of minor deals, but the last two trades of the draft day were Vancouver and Buffalo. And the first one was um, Grignani. Do you remember Mark Andre? Yeah, I do remember Grignani. Yeah, for Alex Sulzer. And then right after that, the last trade, also a one-for-one, was Zach Cassie and Cody Hodgson. So it's funny that they weren't even in the same package. It wasn't a two-for-two or anything. They were two separate one-for-one deals. And ironically, with Buffalo, who basically lucked out and got the first overall pick way back on day one when, that we should have had to, to kind of bring it all back around to that. Yeah, well, and the other thing that, why that day definitely sticks out to me, it was also my birthday, February 27th. So, you know, there was a lot of feelings going on that day for me. Yeah, no doubt, man. That's a, that was a definitely a tumultuous birthday for you. Yeah. Um, all right, should we move on to the free pour segment? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's do it. All right, so we're at the free pour open floor segment of the episode. Uh, just a reminder that uh, Pete and I are doing a dry month, uh, so there's no whiskey uh, during the segment. But, hey, if you'd like to have a glass, we'll cheers you at a later date. Yeah, and um, the dry segment actually ties into what I'm going to talk about. But, Doug, I think you should go first here. You got the floor. Uh, Yeah, so I'm just going to touch briefly on some nostalgia. Uh, My fiancé went halfers with, uh, actually, I think thirdsies with uh, a couple of her co-workers on Disney+. And again, you know, it wasn't really a big deal to me, but one of the things they do have on Disney+, Plus, which I absolutely adored as a kid, and I've already watched like the first six episodes, is the X-Men animated series. Um, yeah, man, I'm so stoked to have all of that in one spot where I can watch it all over again. And uh, yeah, man, X-Men on Disney+. Plus. It's a big plus for me. I remember that. 
I remember that show. I forgot about that. I used to watch that all the time. Oh, dude, it had one of the best like intro music ever, like for for an animated show. <laughs> um, what do you think of Disney Plus? Is it worth it? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I still think they're still working everything out, but uh, overall, I mean, depending on, you know, Darkwing Duck's on there, Rescue Ranger's Ooh, on there. I like it. That yeah. Is, that is getting nostalgic. Do you have DuckTales on there? Uh, I haven't looked for DuckTales yet, but yeah, DuckTales, I know the movie DuckTales Treasures of the Lost Lamps on there, which I'm a huge Ooh. fan of as well. Interesting, man. Well, um, I'm going to talk about, well, it, and when we say dry months, we're I, I was trying to do a dry month, and then uh, I forgot I was going to Havana on uh, the weekend. I was in Montreal working at a conference in Miami, and so I just like, well, I got some time. Went down with some of my colleagues and met up with a couple other friends in Havana. Turns out we showed up. We had no idea uh, that it was Havana's 500th birthday, the day after we arrived. So the whole city was, was celebrating. The king and queen of Spain were in town. Uh, there, there's just, there's just a, it was just an incredible scene. We had no idea this was uh, at all happening. Our, our Airbnb casa host told us, and we were, you know, in Spanish, broke, broken Spanish, going back and forth. And she just say 500 years, did a little bit of research, and sure enough, it was 500 years. Spent a 500 year party on the rooftop with three of my friends, smoking cigars, drinking some Cuban rum, watching these fireworks over the city, and we end up in this. Uh, rooftop party afterwards, DJs, DJ artists, it was just incredible. I've, I've always loved Savannah, it's my second time going there, and I just wanted to give, just, just make everyone listen to how awesome Havana was this time. So, yeah, Havana, go there, it's crazy, don't wait till their 600th birthday. <laughs> and you guys had no clue? No clue, man, I had no idea, I mean, it was this incredible piece of luck that we arrived in Havana the day before the 500th birthday of the city. That's amazing, man. Yeah, it's crazy. It was just it's one of these things of the travel got shone on us, and uh, it was just an amazing time. Cool. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap this episode up. Let's do it. Thanks for uh, putting up with the delay on my end, Doug, for recording this week from Miami I appreciate that and we'll get things back to normal next week I promise yeah back to our regular scheduled programming um <laughs> again I like doing these road these road podcasts uh from time to time now I gotta get my ass on the road one of these days <laughs> yeah I'm sure we'll, we'll get one from you down under the hardest thing is just doing it with the time differences and, and whatnot I'm, I'm three hours ahead of you and I know when I did those ones from uh, way out in the Middle East there. I was doing the early morning and you were doing it late night. That's the hardest thing, but yeah, I agree. They are, they are kind of fun to do and nice to break up the monotony of the work trip with, with some of these and kill in all the brain cells in Havana. It's nice to get the brain working again. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, uh, give us a follow online, uh, Twitter. Uh, follow us at Canucks Speak on Twitter. Or you can follow me at Doug Venn. That's V-E-N-N. And I'm at Pete underscore Gap, just like the wrestler. And we're doing the giveaway again for the Burroughs game. We got that ticket dangling around because our boy Ted couldn't go. So we're going to give it away again. We'll do something else for you, Ted. Not sure what, but we'll get you to another game at some point. So, you know, this beat, give us a tweet. 
and you can hang out with Doug and Pete. Hey, I just made that up, Doug. I'm, uh, I'm a pretty fly rapper, am I not? I would say that was pretty epic. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, like Pete said, shout us out on Twitter. Uh, you know who the outro track is playing right now, and uh, there's a free Burroughs ticket for you to the game on December 3rd. And we'll add this song onto the outro playlist on Spotify. Give that a follow. We will add on songs as they happen and some pretty funky beats to, to get you through your day. Uh, next week, I'll be back on Sunday, Doug. I will see you in the office on Monday, and I guess we will see all of you out there next Wednesday. Uh, sounds good, and uh, thanks for listening to episode 14. As they say in Cuba, hasta luego. Make it hot like fire, 200 proof like moonshine. Risky, playing yourself is risky. And the flow's mad jazzy like Dizzy Gillespie. And the sound be harmonious and deadly. Like a harpy, call me the great one like Wayne Gretzky. No man can test me, so why try? Focus like a samurai, stronger than a Mata. Or a tsunami. TV to the BBC, radioactive waves, short out your TV, LESB, check it for me in the next galaxy, put it in a time capsule till the next century.